All right, guys, here's another episode of the Daily CDs. I'd like to take this time to thank all the people who've joined my Patreon. I really appreciate that. And then also the guys who have joined the, my membership on my YouTube channel. Uh, all that really helps a lot. And also to uh, Value Pack, dog food. You know, I fed Value Pack before. I really thought it was good dog food. The hounds did really good on it. And uh, I'll be feeding it again here soon. Uh, I think it's really important that we support the companies that support what we do. Also to W Supply. Uh, they provide this platform for us to share our content. And uh, I want to thank them for that. Anyway, here's that episode. Enjoy. Now, this hunt took place in the, in the Warchuca Mountains. And it was somewhere in the, in the early 50s. This Walter Kellner that hunted with me a lot and he helped me a lot and was the baseball pitcher. Well, we got together and and went to the Warchuca Mountains. Well, I knew there was a big old male lion in there. And uh, he is pretty hard to catch. Those other fellows had been in there and run him. So we had this line sold for a good price alive. And he wasn't worth very much dead and we didn't have a thought so we weren't gonna we wasn't gonna kill him if we couldn't tie him up. <clears throat> so I think it was the third day we hit the good track of this male line, but he'd traveled an awful long ways. And we probably didn't get him up the first tree till probably Oh, maybe three o'clock in the afternoon. And when we got to this tree, before we could ever get started up it or try to put the rope on him or anything, well, he bailed out. And he went down that Miller Canyon on the east side of the Warchukas, and that is a deep, rugged canyon. Lots of bluffs and things. And he kind of he rimmed it. And away he went. And to... A uh, lion jumped out of a tree. He made a long run, and he got away off down there where you could look right down on the flats, and, and not too far down this canyon where the, the houses started. And they put him in a, well, I'd call it a small bluff. It probably wasn't over 100 yards long, but it was probably 75 feet high right straight off. And when we got there, it took this long. It was a, a getting almost dark. And this line had got down on a ledge and worked right square on the side of it. Uh, on this ledge, and he, his tail was sticking off of this bluff. And it was at least 75 feet high. And here these dogs was lined up, and there could only about three dogs stand uh, together without pushing one another off. And when we got there, I looked and I said, Walter, we've already got two dogs killed because those dogs are gone. And I know that they went off that bluff in my own mind. <clears throat> we got down there on the ledge with those dogs. And what could get a hold of him just run out and right in that lion's face and grabbed him. Now, that lion had more sense about going off of that bluff than those dogs did. I believe the lion could have went off of it without killing him, but those dogs couldn't. <clears throat> and he just grabbed the, the crevices in that um, 
on that ledge and just held lying those lions, those dogs just kind of stretched him out. Well, I jumped down there and went to grabbing these dogs and throwing them back. And um, Kellner would make them stay back behind him and make them get out of there. And we got them all loose from him. And we got them back up and tied them and tied them. And this line just sat there. Well, it was a getting dark and we couldn't tie that thing in the dark. So <clears throat> we decided that we'd just hold him right on that ledge that night. And after a bit, well, we, we, one of us would stay there and make him stay back there where he couldn't get out on this ledge. And the other one would go gather wood. Well, we gathered a good big bunch of wood and we we're, was going to build a fire right on that ledge right in front of that line. So we did that and we got a good fire going and he just stayed there all right, sat there. So these dogs were just run plumb, they were just run plumb down. And of course, when they laid down under those bushes we had them tied to, well, they got so stiff they couldn't hardly walk. And anyway, well, we would take turn about a sitting there and the other one would get up close to the dogs there, just above the line though, and lay down and try to get a little nap. Well, Walter was a sitting there and now in a minute, he said, no, I was just stretched out. He said, now, look out. He's, he's trying to go up that uh, side of that ledge. And I raised up, and there just down a few feet from me was this line just stuck there with his claws in these, in these crevices. <clears throat> and he saw he didn't think he could get enough spring, that line didn't, to ever come out over the top. And so he just turned around and eased back down onto that ledge where he'd just come from. And Nessa watching him. We could see him by the campfire and see him good. And now he was using his head and pretty smart because he had to go just right because the ledge was so narrow there where he'd just come from that if one missed step and he went off that bluff. So everything kind of quieted down and I laid back down and it was somewhere around midnight that this happened and now in a minute Walter says look out and he he tried her again and up over the top that line come and he jumped right over me and away he went well we jumped up and turned loose the dogs and they just run him off into that big canyon he he crossed that went right down across that big Miller Canyon and when the dogs hit the bottom of that canyon, while well, they weren't making any speed anyway, they were so doggone still after being so run down and so tired that they just all stopped down there and, and laid down under a tree. And we followed them on down there and then built us a fire and we stayed there all night. And I told Walter then, I think we had eight hounds. And I said, well, you stay down here with her mules and these hounds and I'm going back up there and see for sure if those dogs are dead under that bluff. So I went back up there and I found both of them. And of course they broke up and just dead as they could be. And I just took the collars off of them and left them laying there. And I went back down to Walter and we got on our mules and we had to just fool along and and with those dogs to ever get out of there. 
And if one laid down, we'd have to make him get up. And we finally got over to the Colonel and Mrs. Haley's ranch where we stayed there that all the rest of that day and that night. And then we went on back to to Tucson. And that wasn't a very that wasn't a very successful hunt where we failed to tie the line, but the line wouldn't have been worth near as much as these two dogs, because one of them was a, a good big red tick and uh, called him Drive, and he was a real hound. Then the other one was a heavy-set, built, broad blue tick that I called Nag, and old uh, Nag was a good hound, but he wasn't near as good a hound as the red tick. And they would have been worth lots more, probably three times as much those two dogs would have, that, that we could have got out of that line if we'd have got him tied up. So that wasn't a very successful hunt as far as money-wise is concerned. We had a good time of running him and trying to rope him and all, but it didn't turn out very good. Well, now this th this is a this is a hunt that we made on the Philmont Ranch, and that that Philmont Ranch is in the n northeast corner of New Mexico, and it was a huge ranch. It was uh, uh, bought by that Wade Phillips, and he was then just starting the Phillips Petroleum. Him and, and some of his family started that Phillips Petroleum 66. And so we were working for the old biological survey for the government, and they sent us in there because they were having trouble with lines. So this Wade Phillips wasn't there when we went there and went to work. And we come in there on the, the, and started to work on the 20th of October of 1930. And uh, this people around there would tell us, say, well, now, listen, Mr. Phillips will eat you up for doing that when he gets here, and he's going to be here in a few days. And we told them, said, well, now, listen, we're not afraid of Mr. Phillips because we're not working for Mr. Phillips. And if he says anything to us, we'll give him just as good, send it back to him just as good as he sent it because we're not one bit afraid of Wade Phillips. And I wouldn't work for a man that I was afraid of. And, uh, I, and I haven't seen many, many men that I was afraid of. So... We started in. Well, I know what they said around there, because one old boy told us. They was wondering why they sent a couple of boys up to do a man's job. So that was all right. We were just starting on, in our blind hunting all right. So <clears throat> it come an awful snow. And I mean out on the level in places is about, about 30 to inches to 3 feet deep. And one day we had made, we had, was in one of his cabins. He had cabins all over that ranch. Now that ranch was a huge ranch because he had better than a half a million acres at that time in that one ranch, all brought together in that one ranch. And that's a pretty good sized ranch. And so at, we were camped up there and he was in course, drove fine vehicles and he had a, an extra good pickup truck there that 
set pretty high, and he broke his way up to our camp. And we hadn't been out since it snowed, but we got up that morning and made a pretty big circle. <clears throat> we rode in that evening, and there he was, there to count. So he introduced himself, and we talking to him, and he said, uh, whose horses are you riding? We said, well, we're riding the Philmont horses. Belongs to the Philmont. Of course, that is his ranch. And he said, uh, who's a-feeding these horses? We said, well, the Philmont's a-feeding them. They belong to the Philmont. And he said, well, uh, how many have you got? We had stalls and good barns to put them in, and good stalls. And we had good barns to put our hounds in. We said, well, we've got four. We've got two apiece. And he said, well, now, listen, you boys, you ride these horses for a week because this is hard on horses. But they were grain-fed, and they were real, honest-to-goodness mountain horses. And I rode, I think, on that ranch, the best horses that I've ever rode. And they were well-blooded horses, and they were stout. He said, you boys bring those four horses to the headquarters every week, and we'll have four fresh ones there that were stolen and grain and hay and, and grain too, and change horses. And Clell said, now listen, Mr. Phillips, says we haven't got time to come to that ranch every week with these horses and then get four more. said, now you've got a lot of cowboys and all. If you want us to have four fresh horses a, a week, well, you, you send somebody to our camp with those horses. <clears throat> and he said, all right, I'll do that. So he did. And uh, then this man that was his cow foreman, he resented us riding those good horses. And every once in a while, well, he'd try to send us two or three that didn't amount to much. And when he did, well, we'd, we'd send them back and we wouldn't have them. We told that guy, said, now, we're going to ride good horses or we're not going to ride any. And uh, he, this cowman, he resented that. <clears throat> but anyway, well, in a few days, it had already, uh, it was in November then, and the 2nd of November, we caught an old female lion and two young ones. And then on the uh, the the 10th day of November, we caught another young one. And that made four in the first part of November. So they kind of changed their tunes then about sending boys up to do a man's job. But anyway, wait, Mr. Phillips come up to our camp and they wanted to go out riding with us and see if we might find the line track. So they did. And his foreman of the whole ranch, Roy Lewis, he was one of them, and then he had several more with him. And we hunted for on quite a circle and didn't find any tracks of any lines and got up on a what, what we call kind of a, a table in that country. It was just really a flat mesa on top of this uh, ridge, and it was probably a mile around it in kind of rims all the way around. You could only get up on it in just a, a few places horseback. 
So we got up on top of this rim and was riding around and we hit the tracks of a big bobcat. And Mr. Phillips says, well, I'd sure like to have that cat if we can't find the trackers of a lion. So we let our dogs take after it. Now, th then the dogs dropped in under this rim and they, they was coming around in the snow in the, this rock slide and they stopped to, to eat lunch. And Clay and I just kept a riding that rim and a looking for that cat and also a keeping in hearing distance of her dogs and we was up close to them most of the time. They were just under the rim and we was on top. And I stopped and was off of my horse down there on the edge of this rim, a, a looking down in there and the dogs are just right, just about in under me. And now in a minute, I imagine 200 yards on around from me, I heard Clell go to shooting. Well, I jumped on my horse, and by the time he quit shooting, well, I wasn't very far from him. And I hurried on up there, and I said, what are you shooting at? He said, I'm shooting at that bobcat. Says it was running right down there and jumping on them rocks and not snowing all, and said, see that big rock down there that I imagine it was maybe 100 yards or somewhere in that neighborhood. Got the snow knocked off of it. I said, yes, I do. He said, I shot at that cat on that rock the last shot and he went off of that rock and disappeared and he said I believe I killed him so they was back around there and they heard that shooting and boy they jumped on their horses and the snow was just a flying and here they come and they jumped run up there and jumped off and Mr. Phillips says uh Clell what is you shooting at and uh, he called Clell Clem most of the time what is you shooting at he says, I was shooting at that cat. And come out there, and Clell showed him where the cat was when he shot at him the last shot. And he says, you know, I believe I knocked him off of that rock. Phillips turned around and says, you didn't kill that cat down there. Well, Clell says, I don't know whether I did or not. But says, I can tell you one thing. I can tell you in just a few minutes. And it won't be long, because here those, those hounds are coming. And when they get there, I'll know whether that cat's dead or not. If you don't, them dogs will go on after him. Those dogs come on around there and us are watching them. And they went under that rock. I think we had five dogs. <clears throat> and they, we couldn't see them for a little while. And they went on there and chewed on it. And after a bit, well, they come out and was looking up towards us. And Phil says, that cat's dead and I'm going after him. So he wallowed down through the snow and <clears throat> got down there to to that rock and he just reached over and pulled up that cat and held him up there while we could all see him and Philip turned around to me and said, Say, he says, what kind of a gun is he a shooting? I said, Well I guess he's a shooting the one the, the one of the best guns in this whole country because I imagine it's killed about the most. And I said, I want you to take a look at it when he comes back up here because it is a real gun. And the old gun was an old floppy Optican barrel 30-30, and the stop was loose on it, and it wobbled around, and uh, just about to fall apart. So when Clell got back up there, and they looked at the cat and all, uh, Philip said, say, let me take a look at your gun, would you? Oh, Clell said, yeah. I said, now, there's not any bullet in the barrel, but it's got some in the magazine. No 
it was really an old Winchester lever action, of course. <clears throat> he took that gun and looked at it and wobbled it around, and the stock was kind of fairly loose on it. And he said, for goodness sakes, just to think that you kill that cat down there with this gun. He said, there, I've got a gun hanging on my saddle that costs $2,500. And I wish that I thought I could kill a, a lion, a bobcat like that, that far. Old Clell said, well, Mr. Phillips says it don't make any difference how much your gun wobbles, just so you pull the trigger at the right time. So we went on back to camp then. Well, the next day, we made a circle in a different direction, and uh, Mr. Phillips and Roy Lewis and some of his office men out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, went uh, on a circle. And late that evening, well, this uh, fellow Camel, he, now he was his game man. They had a big pasture fenced in with high-page heavy page wire fence, and it must have been 10 or 12 feet high. And he, in that pasture, he had buffalo, elk, and deer, and antelope in that pasture. And he sent this game man of his up to our camp to tell us about some tracks they saw that day. Well, no, there wasn't any of that bunch that really knew a line track. And so this camel said, well, now, over here at a certain place, and it was a long ways from where we were, horseback, said, we found the tracks of, we thought of two lines. And he had a pocket knife there with him that was pretty long. He says, now, in the biggest one of these, those tracks, this knife just fit in it, crossways. And he says, you know, there wasn't a man in the bunch that really knew whether those were, were line tracks or not, but we think it was. And Mr. Phillips said to tell you that if you want to go over there and, and look at those tracks, for me to go with you in the morning and show you right where they were. So we told him, said, all right. And so we made arrangements to meet at a certain place the next morning. So we got up early and pulled out and took took our hounds. And I imagine we took, as I remember, we took five or six, seven maybe. We had a good big pack of hounds. And we met this camel iron. and we rode just as fast as we could to those tracks. And we, well, we didn't get there till about 11 o'clock. And there was the tracks of five lines walking right down this ridge right in the snow. And it looked like at that time that they were right side by side. There was a big, big old male, and he was a big lion, and a female, and three young ones that were probably seven, eight months old, somewhere from six to eight months old. And they didn't know that was but two there. So we just took after them right then. And we, so that shows how old those tracks were. Of course, most of the places is snow, and those dogs got up and just left there. And uh, I imagine we trailed them for two hours. Now, every once in a while, this old male would uh, go off from those others and then make a circle and come back into them. And when the, nearly every time when they did, well, the dogs would take it on that male's track 
just because he was bigger and left more scent. And we'd get them and put them back on the old female and the kittens because we figured that the old that that those kittens and the old female wouldn't travel near as far as the old male did, and we'd have a better show of jumping them. Well, they finally crossed the canyon and into a big bunch of bluffs, and they jumped one of these kittens and brought it out and treated it, and we killed it, and went took our dogs right back, and they went right back into those bluffs, and they brought another one of those young ones out and treated it, and we got it. And they went back, we took them back, and they went back right back up into the bluffs, and they jumped the other young one and brought it out and treated it. But the old female wasn't with them. She had went on, her and the old male both. So we just turned around and come back and uh, went on back to camp and told this camel to tell Mr. Phillips, that if he wanted to go with us the next morning, we thought we had a good chance of catching that old female because we figured that she had come back after those young ones. And we knew that pretty well for sure she'd come back within, at least within three days. And uh, when she did, well, we planned on catching her. We didn't know whether the old male had come back or not, but we knew that old female had come back eventually after those young ones because she had left them there but there wasn't around any kill or anything so they come to our camp then after dark and we arranged to meet them at the same place so we got up and went over there and we got there before they did so we got down and tied our hounds so they'd all be there and wouldn't be strayed off anywhere and waited for them and a few minutes well here they come and they were in pickups and trailers and things hauling their horses and good golly i think there was six of them six or seven but anyway well come up and mr phillips got out and said say says clem i understand you guaranteed me a line this morning well says uh now listen says we're not guaranteeing you no line this morning Says we just, well, he said, that's what Camel said. Well, said, we didn't tell Camel any such of a thing, and Camel was a sitting there. Says, we told Camel that if you wanted to come up here and take the chance, we thought we had a good chance of that old female coming back after her cubs. And if we did, we figured on catching her. And he turned around to, to his foreman, oh, he is snooty. Turned around to his foreman and said, Roy, Says, it looks like we wasted the day of coming up here. And Clell said, now listen, Mr. Phillips. Says, we don't care whether you go with us or not. Says, you can do as you as you please. He said, we thought we was being nice to you to invite you up here. And now, if you don't want to go, you haven't wasted the day. You can just get in, load your horses back in those pickups and trailers and get back to that ranch, and it won't take you very long. So you haven't wasted no day. Turned around to me and he said, Dale, untie those dogs. We're leaving here. So I run over there and went to untie them. We had little ropes, and of course. I'd get the little ropes. I got those eight dogs un untied, and I turned around and just got on my horse, and we just rode off. Well, oh, boy, they went to getting busy then. Just put on their shaps and spurs and jackets and all oh it is cold they in 
an extra coat and jumped on their horses and away they come. <clears throat> and they got up pretty close to me and uh, here was one of these office boys out of worked in his office down there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was riding a little white, blocky-built, good-looking little horse. And he was a good little horse. And I was riding the big old iron gray. And he was a lot bigger horse, but but he was a mountain horse and a good one. And he said, say, he says, if we get on the fresh tracks of that line, he said, I'm going to chomp the hops off of that old blue horse on this little white one. And I looked at him, and I said, well, there never was a dude out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, that could do that. And so if we get on a good track, well, I'll give you, I'll give you a chance. So he said, okay, I'll sure do it. So with all of that gang, Clell rode up in the front on the, leading the procession on the trail, and I dropped plumb back behind. Well, I was back there behind to keep the dogs out of from amongst all them horses and horses stepping on them and maybe crippling one of them or something. So just as we're riding up and getting into the edge of this big canyon and looking off towards the bluffs that uh, we jumped the young ones out of, boy, these dogs picked up a track right there by me and they turned to the right. That would be down the canyon on this side of the bluffs. And they were running. <clears throat> and they went under a tree, and there's a good patch of snow under that tree. And I jumped off and run up and looked under that tree. And there was the tracks of that old female line. Well, of course, we knew it had been made that night since we'd been there the day before. And, of course, I knew it was a good track. Well, here they wheeled, and they're trying to stampede and all that. And I just held them back. And wouldn't let them go on and just pulled around there and I went back and I fixed my saddle and I kind of cinched her up and I got all ready and boy these let these hounds get down there a couple of hundred yards on that, that rim and they're really running and I just eased over and I stepped on my horse and I took a double of a light rope down and just sat there and now in a minute I just squalled and I hit that old horse down the hind leg and spurred him, and away from there we went. Well, the doggone this stampede come that you ever saw. Here those guys come in behind me just laying her down. Well, this Roy Lewis, he is on a course riding one of the best horses on the Philmont Ranch. And this old horse I was riding couldn't run too fast, but he was sure a good horse. Well, old Roy Lewis passed me. And before we caught up to the hounds, why well, they just doubled right off into this canyon, and they were really running. And so I just ducked off right after them. I, you could get off of there. It was kind of steep, but I never checked up a whole lot in going off of there. Well, Roy Lewis run quite a ways before he got turned around and come back. And we hit the bottom of the canyon there then, and the... And when the line made a turn right back up the canyon, well, the dogs just made a kind of a lose there for just a little bit. And I was right with the dogs, and I just stopped there and was watching them. And I heard a commotion up on the hill, and here they come, the whole gang. And old Clell was a coming over there, and this 
old boy that was going to tromp the hops off of my old blue gray horse on that little white horse. I called him the dude from Tulsa. Well, here he was right behind old Clell, and he was just uh, hanging on to that saddle horn, and that little old horse was really uh, coming off of there. And uh, he didn't have on any shafts that morning, but he had on a fancy pair of riding britches that get down low and got all kinds of uh, buttons on them and all, and all it was a fancy affair. Well, he is hitting some of that brush, and boy, those those buttons are just a flying, and all it tickled me. I just laughed and laughed. And when they hit the bottom of the canyon and Clell kind of turned, well, this old boy's horse hit Clell's horse right in the, with his chest and nearly knocked this horse of Clell's down. And Clell turned around and told him, says, he did, didn't know this conversation that took place between this guy and I. And he said, what's the matter with you, you dad dang fool? And so uh, that old boy saw me uh, standing there, uh, sitting there on my horse, and here he come. And I was uh, holding them back to them hounds really got lined out because I knew that was a, a fresh track. And now I met those hounds, just, oh, boy, they left there in high gear. Just in the, This all took place in just a little bit. And up that canyon they went, and I let the hounds get up there quite a ways. And it was, as far as mountains concerned, is good riding. And I just spurred that old horse that I was on and hit him, and away we went. And here that old boy come in right behind me. Well, his horse is a faster horse than mine, and he did stay right on my heels until we rode right up under the tree, and this line is up the tree. And... <clears throat> That old boy had a gun, and he jumped off and grabbed his rifle, and Clell jumped off his horse and told him, he said, you put that gun back in that scabbard. Well, that old boy says, what? I don't want to get away. Clell says, well, you're not going to shoot that line, and I can tell you one thing. It's not going to get away. Mr. Phillips is going to shoot that line, and Phillips wasn't there. So... In a minute, Clell said, why don't you go back and see if you can find Phillips and several of those others. There's on about Roy Lewis and this one fellow, and I think another one, there's three or four back that wasn't there. So I rode back up there and hollered around, and this fellow Camel answered me. And I went to him, and I said, say, where's Mr. Phillips? He said, well, I, I guess he's gone on. I don't know where he is. I said, well, you ought to keep track of your balls. And so in a little bit, we heard a shot off in this canyon. So we turned around and rode back down there and rode up to him. And Phillips kind of sneered and looked at me and said, where are you been? I said, well, now, listen, none of you guys didn't run off and leave me because I was the first man that rode under this tree. And I said, I went back to look for you to kill this lion. And I said, all I found back up there was this camel. Camel was sitting there. And he, Phillips turned around to Camel and said, uh, what is you doing? Old Camel said, well, says, when that race first started, says, my horse jumped a pretty big log and throwed a, a, some kind of a kink in my back. And he said, uh, so I pulled up. Phillips says, listen, Camel, says, anybody west of the Mississippi River is supposed to have a few guts. 
says them on the other side don't need any. And old Camel didn't say one word, just kind of held his head down and didn't say a thing. And so then we loaded the line and started out. And I got up pretty close to Camel, and I said, Camel, do you know what I'd have done if old Phillips had said that to me? He said, what would you have done? I said, I'd have just walked up to him and I'd drawed back, and I'd have hit him right square in the dog-dang kisser. And what I mean, I'd have poked him. Oh, he said, I couldn't do that. I said, no, you can't, because I don't think you got any guts either. So we rode on, and we hit a bobcat track. And it was just a medium-sized cat. And our dogs picked it up. And uh, Philip says, uh, what are they running? Well, Phil says, they're after just a medium-sized cat. Well, he said, I've got to have a big one. Old Phil said, okay, and we called the dogs. And we rode on, and old Phillips rode up and said, say, Cleo, if I can't get a big cat, says, I'll take a medium-sized cat. Okay. Phil says, no, Mr. Phillips, says, you're too doggone hard to please. And uh, so we just rode on. Well, now, he was, he didn't get off with anything on us because we give him back just as good as he sent, and he liked us. And anything that we wanted, we got. And when they they butchered every week on that ranch to feed the the hired people, and they always saved us a proportion of the beef. We went there and into the commissary. They had all kinds of food that you could imagine, just kind of like a, a store, anything you wanted. And we went in that store, and they fed us because we got everything that we wanted out of that commissary, and they furnished us so much meat every week. So he was good to us. Then finally Christmas came, and he bought us each one a fine leather-lined coat. And it was about the best you could buy in them days. And he gave them for Christmas. So that was really funny, though. Mine was quite a lot too big for me. And he saw Clell and give them to him. And he said, now, here's yours. And he said, uh, here's this bigger coat for your big brother. And Clell is a whole lot heavier and broader and all than I was. And But uh, I appreciated that coat because I wore it lots. And it was a, a good coat. And, and that weather was really cold. And right after Christmas then, why well, they moved us. So we moved down to a fellow's ranch there. His name was, uh, his name was Odie Gans. And just as we rolled in there, we went up in his field and went to, and no cabin or nothing, and went to trying to put us up a tent. And oh, it started snowing, and that wind blowing, and that, that snow was just blowing real low and right straight across that field. And what I mean, it was cold. And we were just uh, trying our best to get up a tent. And here old Odie Gans come up there. He owned it there. And he was married and and, uh, and had four kids. And they were just about a year apart. And I guess the oldest one was about 12 years old, 12, 13. And they were going to school down there. A little schoolhouse on down the 
Apache Creek there, probably three or four miles. And he said, listen, boys, he said, you guys are going to freeze to death up here trying to get that tent up. He said, now, we'll be crowded, but you guys come on down there to that house, and we're going to put you up anyway. And he said, then we'll take and tie your dogs up in the barn where it's pretty warm. So we did. And it stormed there to where we couldn't hardly hunt very much for about 10 days, two weeks. And all that weather was, was bad. Well, we'd, he had quite a lot of corn that he wanted shelled. So we'd go up in the barn and we'd shell a lot of corn. Then pass the time away while his wife, Tara, and Odie and Clay and I, we'd play cards. And old Odie and Clay would play against Clara and I. Like we, it was real cold and everybody is around the stove and sitting in the, there playing cards. Well, we'd play to see who went out and done the chores and took care of the cows and had a, and her saddle animals and the dogs and all. And old Clell and Odie would, they'd cheat us. We knew this is cheating us. And we'd raise old Cain, but they'd cheat us anyway. And usually, Clara and I was the one that was doing nearly all the work outside of, they'd come up there and help us shell corn. But we'd done most all the work. Well, they was having to haul their kids to school. And our old, they had an old car, and it wouldn't hardly run. And they, neither one of them was very good drivers. So if we couldn't get our old car to running, well, Clell or I wanted to take their kids to school. And then after school, when we'd have something to eat, well, then I'd take and I'd help the kids with their lessons. And worked with those kids quite a lot on the schoolwork. And, uh, of course, that was good for us, and, they, and it was good for them. And, and uh, so after I was gone from there a year or two, Clell and Vincent was back up there and seen Odie Gans. And Odie said, say, says, do you reckon that Clell, Dale would be interested in taking a school teaching job? Well, I wasn't qualified for any school teacher. All I had was a, was a high school. I hadn't finished high school. Well, they told him, said, well, we don't know whether he would or not, Odie. Why? He said, well, now, I can tell you one thing. Says, he's a doggone sight better teacher than the one we got. And he could do a whole lot better job of teaching those kids in that school than the teacher that we got. And you tell him that he, he would be interested or would take this school teaching job that I'll get it for him. It won't be no question of of him getting the job, because I'll get it for him. And uh, they said, well, we'd, he's so busy a hunting and a going here and a going there. Said, I doubt whether he'd be interested or not. That was two or three years later. And uh, that was quite a deal up there at that ranch there at Odie Gans. Well, now this hunt took place over at the Carnada Guest Ranch in the Cherry Cow Mountains, which sets on West Turkey Creek on the west side. And, of course, that's the range that I call my home range. 
and uh, this boy that I knew well had hunted with me some by the name of Burke Barkley. Now, he was a little short, rocky-built fellow and uh, kind of dark-complected, but he was, his father was a full-blood Irish and his mother was dark-headed and he turned, he was complected like his mother. But his father was what we called a flannel-mouthed Irishman, real light-complected, kind of sandy hair. And anyway, he was a good little hand, but he hadn't, he hadn't never roped and helped tie up a line. He'd seen a few in the trees, and that was all. So I told him, Burke, I said, we got a, we got a line so, sold for pretty good money if uh, we can tie up one. And we haven't got any guests, so any clients, so we'll try to rope one and tie it up and take it to Tucson and or and Ernest can ship it out. So we hunted there, oh, I think, three or four days. And there was a good bunch of guests there. They must have been maybe 10 or 12 uh, guests at this ranch. So wasn't too far up above, up above there one morning, we hit the tracks of this female line. It was a, a good size female, grown female, and we treated. Well, as we started up to it with all of a rope down on it, it was awful brushy. And the brush was this old oak and pretty good sized. And we didn't try to get right up to the line with our horses. We tied them down on a little point. And we walked up there and carried everything. Well, this tree grew out, I imagine, 15 or 20 feet from a ledge. Well, that ledge had broken places in it where you could get out on it. And we were standing up on that ledge, and this line was right out in front of us in, in not, too big, not too tall a tree and on a limb. And we didn't even have any good right ropes or catch ropes, we call them, that you rope calves and everything with. <clears throat> we just had a couple of old, about an inch or maybe an inch and a quarter, pack rope. So we built us a, a hondo in it, and that hondo is a, that you run your rope through to make a loop. So we'd fix your hondos in these ropes. <clears throat> and I never was much of a roper, but I've got me a loop built. And I mean, this line is out in front of us, I don't imagine, over 25 feet. And I said, say, Burke, I said, have you ever heard about how I rope? Well, he said, no, I never have. I said, well, I want to show you what kind of a roper I am. And we didn't care if it jumped out. We figured that those dogs would tree it again before too long. And the only thing we was afraid of, that it might climb a tree we couldn't get up. And if it had them, old Bert was pretty good at climbing trees, but I was always clumsy and liable to fall out and break my neck. So I just swung that loop around, small loop, I just swung it around a time or two and let her go and she went right, just flew out there and went right around that thing's head, right right around his neck. <clears throat> I kind of tightened up on the rope a little bit and told Burke, I said, get down there and tie those dogs. Well, he run, 
around there and went down through a crack and got down there to the foot of the tree, and before he could get any dogs tied, well, that lion jumped out, and it jumped out over the limb from me, and that made, meant that I was, had it ha uh, hanging, and you can't choke them too much. <clears throat> and so uh, I just found a crack and went down through there towards the bottom and was letting that line towards the ground all the time. And old Bert grabbed the big limb, and he was really up, up knocking those dogs back so they wouldn't get a hold of it. When it got down to where he could get a hold of it, I hollered, get it by the tail. And old Bert run over there and got it by the tail, or started to, and that line was a-kicking with his hind feet, and I'll bet it didn't miss hitting him right in square in the face over four or five inches. And that scared me, and I said, Bert, don't let that thing hit you in the face. I said, uh, don't let it, because it'll really rip you open. <clears throat> and I just went on then, and it got kind of choking, so I just let it to the ground. And he grabbed it behind leg and put a, a by the tail and then looped the hind leg and tied it to a bush. And then I held it stretched out there, and he, and he had the dogs beat back. Well, he tied all the dogs then. While I held the line and be sure I didn't choke it too much to choke it unconscious, because when you do, you're taking chances on killing them. Well, he got the hounds all tied and then come back, and I told him how. And he had never helped rope a line before, and he tied his front hind feet together and then came up and tied his front feet together and then pulled all four of those feet together and tied them together. And then I told him how to get a stick and, and put it on a little rope and let it down. And the line grabbed it and how to tie its mouth. I didn't do anything but hold the line, and he done all the tying and all. So after we got, he got the line tied, I said, well, now, Bert, you take this line and help him get it on his shoulders and back. And I said, you pack it down yonder to those horses on that point, and I can be able to see you. And then lay it down and get you a good stick to keep these dogs back from getting a hold of that line and it tied up. And I'm going to turn these dogs loose. And when I do, they're going to run you right off of that mountain. Carrying that line, they'll smell it right in the brush and they'll run it just like it's the line of running himself. So we just done that. And every hound I turned loose, of course, took off down that mountain. <clears throat> and then uh, I hurried down there as fast as I could, and he was riding a, a big old powerful horse that belonged to that Coronado Guest Ranch. So he got on this big old horse, and I leaned over and got a hold of it, and I lifted the line up, and, and so we put it right up in front of him. Well, it was pretty rough and kind of bad right there, so I just walked over and, and put on my shaps and spurs and everything, and he already had his on, and and was leading my horse, and he was riding. And now in a minute, that old horse just snorted and went right straight in there. Now, I didn't know what had happened. Well, it didn't throw him off. He was a pretty good rider, and it bucked there for quite a few jumps. And he got him pulled up, but he lost his line. Well, what had happened, that line got one hind leg loose and reached down and hooked that horse right in the shoulders with its claws. And when it did, that old horse really come unwound. 
Well, there the, the, the lion was hobbled with his front feet and his mouth tied, but it got the other hind foot loose and was jumping around uh, trying to run. And I jumped and grabbed it by the tail to hold it and grabbed me a stick to knock the dogs back. And he jumped off and I said, well, you didn't do such a good job that time of tying that thing's hind feet, so you better tie them again. So we, he retied it. Of course, I was getting a big kick out of it, and that tickled me. So after it was tied again, well, he got back up on that same old horse, and uh, and uh, I lifted him the line, and he reached down, got a hold of his legs, and we put it right up in front of him. Now you you lay them on their back when they're riding in the saddle in front of you, and uh, its mouth's tied and its feet are tied; it can't hurt anything. So we we weren't over. We wasn't over probably two miles from that Coronado Guest Ranch, maybe two and a half, but not far. And we hit a road there in just a little ways that went up this canyon for a ways and then ended. And we just turned down that road and rode down to the ranch there. Tied up her dogs and laid her line down. And <clears throat> the old boy that uh, was running that guest ranch, well, his daddy owned it, Curtis Cooper. Well, he come down there and was looking at the line, and I said, say, Curtis, we got to find some place to put this line. We got no cage or anything here to put it in or anything. And I said, we got that this line sold. Well, he said, listen, he said, the only place I can think of is that tack room. And he had a good big tack room. And I said, well, it's got some windows in it. It'll break through, it'll break through those windows and go right out. He said, no, we'll take a bunch of boards and we'll really uh, nail up those windows and we'll just move all the tack out of there. I said, well, you better move all that tack out of there. If you don't, that line's liable to tie all of them saddles and bridles and blankets up. You can't tell what it might do. So we cleared out the tack room and got the windows all fixed and took it in there and turned it loose and come out and shut the door. And then we took a piece of bailing wire and put on the doorknob and wired it to be sure it wouldn't come open. So then the next morning, old Bert and I got up early and pulled around there and waited until we figured that these, a while before these people would be eating breakfast. So he went up and, and told me, come, and he said, well, they're eating breakfast and they'll be through eating breakfast in a little bit. So I opened that door and turned that line out, and boy, it left there. It was, now, this was right up in the mountains, and it run across a field that had there and a bunch of fruit trees in it, kind of an orchard, and up the, onto a ridge it went. And so I w walked on up to the, the ranch there and uh, went into the big dining room, and they had just finished it. No, Curtis is in there with them, and I said, "Say, Curtis, if you got any guests here that wants to get in on a line race, well, we're going to have one in a little while, and uh, so you'd better, if they want to go, you guys better get ready because we've already got our animals saddled and we're ready to go." Well, of course, a whole bunch of them wanted to go. All of them that could really get up and ride to do any good, and uh, Pope Schultz, he was running the cattle for this ranch, and he is the boss of the cattle. 
So he was iron wanting to, and wanted to go and gonna kind of help Burke and I tie it up again because we wasn't going to kill it. So we went down there and turned loose a pack of hounds. And of course, when they hit that track, of course, it's a running track. And you know that thing put up quite a race. And when they treated it, well, then we roped it and tied it again. And they took a bunch of pictures. And now one reason we done this was just to help that boy that that was running that guest ranch with his guests to give him a little excitement and to uh, help him along with his guests because he was really nice to us and they really got a big kick out of it. So then we brought it back and built a crate park and in a day or two we hauled it to Tucson and uh, our brother, my brother Ernest, well, had the line sold, so he shipped it out. Now, I don't remember where it went because we sold lines to all over the different parts of the country, and we sold a bunch of them to that trader horn out in California that furnished uh, lines for, well, they furnished wild animals to, uh, and rented them to the outfit that was making animal pictures for movies. Now, one time we sold them two young lions uh, that we'd caught when they were real little and raised them up, <clears throat> and they made a big movie with those lions. They called The Big Cat. Now, that was years ago, and no doubt people over the country saw that picture, and it was a famous picture there for quite a while, and it was a lion picture. And after we sold up the, uh, those lines out there, they more or less kind of trained them because I went and saw the picture, and now the ordinary person wouldn't notice it when they changed lines. But they used both of the lines that we sold them that was litter mates, and they were both females in that picture. And uh, it showed them a, a running a cow and calf, and it also showed another scene of where one of, one of these lines jumped off of a big rock and hit on a man and knocked him down and was supposed to have killed him. And all of that kind of stuff, which was really interesting.